Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Thank you, everyone, for coming to another edition of The Best Business Minds. I'm Mark Kramer. Uh, Best Business Minds is where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm a serial entrepreneur and consultant with family businesses and entrepreneurs. Uh, Nicholas Cole, and, and Nicholas, you prefer to go by Cole, am I correct? All my friends call me Cole, so feel free. Excellent, excellent. And um, Cole is the author of The Art and Business of Online Writing, How to Beat the Game of Capturing and Keeping Attention. I have to say I was riveted to this book since I'm a writer myself, and I would love to be able to leverage uh, my writing skills into creating more opportunity for myself. So I'm very excited to talk about this with you. So first, let's uh, please give us about your background and what you do day to day professionally, along with uh, where people can read your works. So quick, quick nutshell, I'm a writer and ghostwriter. I built a company called Digital Press, basically writing on behalf of uh, founders, C-level executives, investors. I uh, started that about three years ago. Over the past couple of years, we've written on behalf of 300 plus different uh, industry leaders, you know, everybody from uh, Olympians, Grammy winning musicians to CEOs of Fortune 500 companies and startup founders. That's the majority of how I spend my time is ghostwriting and co-authoring pieces uh, with those types of people. Um, and then continuing to write my own work. I, you know, was a big writer on Quora for many years. I'm more regularly published on Medium these days and writing books, you know, just came out with this, with this new book. So most, most of my hours are spent writing. And you write for Inc. Magazine, correct? I did. I, I wrote for them between 2016 and 2018, 2019-ish. Okay. Are you writing for any publications now? Not directly. When I wrote for Inc., I was a columnist. I wrote over 400 columns for them. Every once in a while, I'll have a piece. Like We just had a piece in Harvard Business Review talking about category creation that I co-authored with two other two other guys. It's more of like, you know, just kind of on basis. Well, I can't wait to read that because that's my favorite magazine, the Harvard Business Review. That is like the must-have read. So you started out as an elite World of Warcraft gamer and a bodybuilder. Why not stay with gaming and focus on being the next Arnold Schwarzenegger? And how did that affect and help your current career? They were questions I asked myself. Uh, when, I, when I was a teenager, I was a pro gamer. And in 2009, the whole, I was part of that kind of crew of people that created and pioneered the esports world. So back when I was, you know, in high school, nobody really thought that gaming was going to become a multi-billion dollar industry, but me and a bunch of other teenagers did. And so, you know, we spent all our time in there and I thought about it. I, I thought about sticking with that, but it just, as I grew, I, it just didn't really cater to my personality anymore. And then bodybuilding was more of a forced decision. A couple of years ago, I actually herniated a disc in my neck. I had to stop lifting for like two years. And I think it was the universe being like, you don't actually really want to be a bodybuilder. You want to be a writer, but I wasn't ready to let go of it. So it was kind of a forced injury that then, you know, six months after that, I quit my job, went all in on writing, published my first book. You know, my whole writing career really accelerated after that. How did uh, playing the video games 
did that impact your writing? I mean, was there anything that you took from that that impacted you being able to be a short, concise, um, easy to read writer who's had what a hundred million people read your stuff? It yeah, it impacted everything. I mean, everything from my first book was a memoir called Confessions of a Teenage Gamer. It was about all of the lessons and kind of coming of age story of me spending my whole adolescence in a competitive video game. It wired my brain to see the world as a gamer. When I started writing on Quora, I saw it as a video game. Quora was a game, you know? So here are the rules of the game and how do I master the game? How do I beat the game? And I did, you know, and then, and I applied those same principles. I applied it to bodybuilding. I've applied it to entrepreneurship and building a company. Gaming teaches you a lot about problem solving and strategy and work ethic. You know, like it's, it's to me, it's at the foundation for everything. And, and thinking quick on your feet. Yeah, very much so. Very, very, you have to be good at improvising. And, and, and gamers are not, I think people in their public mind have, somebody sitting in their parents' basement who uh, is you know, obese, but really, um, really top-tier gamers are people who are athletes, right? Yeah, in a different way. I mean, let's not, let's not get it twisted. I was, you know, a teenager sitting in my parents' basement just playing video games all day. But yeah, it, I think it was hard growing up because I didn't understand why people didn't treat it with the same respect as they did a sport or something else. And I, I played hockey all growing up. I played classical piano for 20 years. Like I've done other things, but to me, gaming was, it had all the same principles, all the same habits, all the same everything as playing Mozart or playing ice hockey, you know, it's, it's just more happening in your brain. I'm fascinated by gaming. Yeah, I don't do it, but I'm fascinated by the whole idea of it. And that the fact that Comcast is starting a league and that uh, franchises were going for 20 million. I actually think they're 15, 20 years from now, those franchises would be billion dollar franchises because more people watching people gaming than they do watching the NFL. Oh yeah. If you're talking about the industry of gaming, like that's, it's just getting started. Like it'll, it, it has a lot more to grow. It was cool. Well, it's cool now in hindsight, but you know, as a teenager, like I and the rest of my peers, like we, we all knew this was what was going to happen. We were part of it. We were creating it. We were holding our own tournaments and we were finding our own sponsors. And we were, you know, we were building the beta version of what you see today, but nobody really thought the same thing with writing on the internet. You know, like the story I always tell is my college professor told me that I was studying journalism at University of Missouri. And he said that blogging is a trend and, you know, the internet is a fad <sighs> and things are never. And I was like, I transferred schools the next year. I was like, there's no, there's no way that that's true. And I was That guy is so far behind the times. It's ridiculous. They need to retire. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. And I, I kind of kept up with the game because my son-in-law is really into this as well. So I knew from him telling me that people watched it. So let's talk about your writing. How did you become the king of core, uh, core responses and why did you do it? I did it because I had just graduated from Columbia College, Chicago with a degree in fiction writing. And the reason I studied fiction was because, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about a job. I was just like, what do I want to study? I bounced around. My major was poetry for one semester. It was music production for one semester. It was piano performance for one semester. Like It was just me floating around the arts trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Fiction writing clicked, and I just really enjoyed writing. Um, but then when I graduated, obviously, I was like, okay, well, how am I going to turn this into a living? 
because not very many people are sitting around hiring fiction writers. So I got this job as an entry-level copywriter at an ad agency, and that's where I started. It's like if my undergrad was about writing and literature and language, I feel like my informal master's degree was in business and advertising and that whole side of things, and that taught me a lot. And one of the first things it taught me was if you want to become a writer and you want to work for yourself, which I did, you have to learn the business side. You have to learn how to make money. You have to learn how to market to people. You have to learn how to build an audience. You have to learn how to brand yourself. I'd literally spend eight, nine hours a day working at this agency, just soaking up knowledge, doing grunt work. And then I would apply it to my writing at night. And Quora was one of the first platforms that I came across where it wasn't about posting pictures. It wasn't about posting videos. All, all it was was writing. And so I looked at it like, this is a game I can play. This is a video game and my talent is writing. Tell a little bit about Quora because some people may not even be familiar with it. Basically, it's like the new age version of Yahoo Answers. You know, anyone can ask a question, anyone can write an answer. But what was interesting about it was, A, they got the social component right. You know, it operated more as a social platform. You had a feed, you could follow people in topics. And then the other thing that was unique about it was all of the most popular answers really weren't definitions or formal responses to the question. You know, so if someone said, what's it like to be an entrepreneur? It's not like someone would respond with this like dictionary answer. If someone would respond, the first sentence would be like, you know, when I was 20 years old, I became a millionaire by building an app. Mm -hmm. And you're just like instant, you're hooked, right? Like you're, you're in the story. You're like, I want to know what happened. And so because I realized that I was like, okay, well, everyone here is basically playing a storytelling game who can tell the best stories while also answering the question. And I just, I saw that intersection and I was like, I, I can do this. Can you make money off of Quora? I mean, is it like, uh, you know, YouTube with videos and you get a certain number of people watching it and you make money? No, that is the unique challenge about writing on the internet is that Medium right now is really one of the first platforms to try and do that. There really aren't platforms where you write something and then there's the ad model where based on how many views or whatever you get, that you get paid on that. The model that I ended up discovering and really standing by is write for free, but realize what opportunities you can attract by writing for free. So for example, me writing for free on Quora for four years, built my credibility, it built an audience, it built my skill set, it allowed me to get published in a bunch of major publications. When I started my company, Digital Press, with one of my closest friends, we hit seven figures in revenue in like record time, less than a year. And a huge, a huge reason why that happened was because I had already gone through the steps. I'd already mastered the skill set. I had a unique approach because I had done it myself. People already knew who I was. I had an audience. Like I, I had already done the work of building that. So with writing, you don't always monetize in a direct way. It's not really one-to-one. -one. Usually you write and then you, you open some other door of opportunity. Somebody asked here, why core people call themselves writers? I'm a bit confused. Yeah, Quora is, you know, there's questions and you write your answers. I mean, depending on your definition of a writer. Right. I think that's uh, what it's, it's going kind of toward like, is the definition of a writer because, you know, I've written books and I've written, I'm a journalism major as well uh, that's switched over to business. And I, like you, have been leveraging uh, my writing for opportunities and, and writing for free for different publications. But I think that, you know, you are a professional writer. Are a lot of people on board not professional writers? They're just like anybody 
who might want to answer a question. So this is this has taken me a long time, I'll admit, to to come to terms with it in myself because the formal definition for for the past however many years and decades has been, you know, you are a writer when you are published by a major publishing house. That's like you're now a writer. Personally, I have no aspirations of ever publishing a book with a major publishing house. So does that make me a professional writer? Depends on your definition of it. A great example is one of the most popular writers on Quora now, her name's Dushka Zabata. I mean, she has <laughs> way more views than even I do. I mean, she's just completely crushed it. And she refuses to call herself a professional writer. She calls herself an amateur writer because she just loves to write and she doesn't really want to make a quote unquote living off of it. So is she a professional writer? Is she a true writer? A hundred percent, hundred percent she is, but you know, I don't know. Then you get into splitting hairs. Are people with newsletters writers? Are people that operate websites writers? I think you just have to accept that in the digital age, we're all, they're all writers. We're all just different use cases. Um, is it harder to write shorter or longer? Because, you know, you're writing shorter on Quora. You sent me that question. I was like, I'd never thought about that. Um, they're different. Writing, writing longer but not rambling, writing with substance and everything that you're saying, that, that's really hard because you have to critique your own thoughts. If you have three paragraphs all saying the same thing, you have to be willing to delete two of them. But writing short is a completely different thing because you then are criticizing literally every single word. I don't know. I think they're both equally difficult, but in such dramatically different ways. And people usually misconstrue the two. So after all this experience of writing online and all the people you've attracted and, and you talk about this in your book, what posts were people most interested in reading and did that guide you to what would be popular to focus on? Uh, you know, I'm a believer in data. I believe that if you are writing today and you're not using data to inform your writing decisions, you, you are hurting yourself. And there's a lot of writers that live and swear by the Hemingway model. You know, I'm, I'm just going to sit in my kitchen and stare out the window. And that's how brilliance is going to come to me. But I think you're just, you're disadvantaged. You, you really have a lot to gain by writing, publishing, and receiving feedback on the internet. And then using that to dictate what you write next. And so, for example, I noticed very early on that anytime I wrote about universal life lessons, you know, my personal experiences and, and the things that I took away from them, those life advice answers for me always outperformed everything else I wrote. And then same thing with writing advice. Like whenever I write about writing, those also get really great niche engagement. So by learning those things, I just started to double down on them. You can see, you know, like out of all of the things I've written, I'd say 99% of my most viral articles are, have to do with those buckets. I, I think, uh, a lot of times the title will grab you. And I always like to use numbers like 10 things, five things, whatever. How important is the titles that you put together to grab people to make, get them to read what you're reading? Yeah. Like honestly, probably one of the most, if not the most important thing. Um, I mean, there's something to be said for, you can't have a great title, have someone click on it and then be underwhelmed. You know, I talk about this in the book is you, your titles are a promise to the reader and you have to deliver on that promise in order for them to then go, I trust you. I liked this. I want to share this. I want to read more, but yeah, I've had articles where I've changed the title and published it two years later and it didn't 
perform very well the first time and then it went massively viral the second time. But the art, you know, I, I've kind of come up with this way of thinking about titles is you have to create what's called the curiosity gap. And the curiosity gap is where, actually I learned this writing for ink, is you have to tell the reader enough where they know exactly what the piece is about, what it's going to be about, and whether or not it's for them, but not enough where you reveal the answer, but enough again where they know the outcome they will receive if they read it. And that's a lot of moving pieces to juggle. Like people think a title is just, oh, I just have to come up with something clever. What is this about? Who is this for? And what am I going to receive if I read this? What AI tools uh, for writing are you using right now? Um, I'll be honest, like I don't, I don't use a ton of tools before I write. I just, I write and then pay attention to how it performs, what engagement is like, things like that. But a couple that I'll, that I'll tap into every once in a while, BuzzSumo is a good one. Google analytics and just search, search terms are a good one. Every once in a while I'll pop into, you know, like keyword planner from Google or like Amazon ads and just look at keywords, things that are popular news, just looking at what are trending topics and what are people talking about. But yeah, again, I don't, I don't do too much in, in terms of the planning. It's more of a, I wrote it now, let's see how it performed and then iterate from there. How do you receive tension between writing what is true and important versus what will be popular and sell? This is a super meta question. This, I, I think about this a lot. So the way I think about this is like every writer wants people to read their work. You can say as much as you want that, you know, I just want to write what I want to write about. But the reality is underneath that is a deep desire for people to read your work, period. So what you have to do is I think it's worth going through the exercises of learning how to write things that are popular, how to write things that will sell so that you can learn and understand what it is about those things that attract people. Then in learning that, apply that to the work that you feel is truly important and then you'll be better off. Or another way of thinking about that is like, I write things very often that I know are just, this is going to perform well. Might not be the thing that I'm like most passionate in life to write about ever, but I know it'll perform well. The reason why I do that though is because A, if I'm able to write about it, some part of my style is still going to come through in that. That's still a piece of myself. I'm still okay with that. B, my goal is to build a, a very large library as a writer. So everything I write is really expanding my footprint. Part of that footprint is I want things that are out there that are going to attract a lot of eyeballs or be really popular because that's then going to introduce people to my other work that has more depth and maybe they wouldn't have otherwise come across. And I, I talk about this all the time. A buddy of mine is, he's a clinical psychologist and he does a lot of really deep stuff. And I was like, you have to write things. You have to talk about things in kind of a surface level way to get people into your universe. And then once they're in your universe, then you can introduce them to some of the deeper concepts, the things that you have to sit with longer. But if that's the only thing that you give them, just, just that's fine. Just know it's going to be a much longer road and you're probably not going to ever tap into that sort of mainstream, this appeals to everyone type of thing. Uh, what tools do you use to improve your writing? Kind of the same, same thing. I don't really use a lot other than just 
looking at feedback, looking at engagement and just practicing. I think a lot of times aspiring writers want, I was just tweeting about this this morning. They want tools, they want growth hacks, they want the secrets, they want the templates, they want, you know, and even in this book, like I give so many templates and models and like, this is how you do it. But at the end of the day, like literally nothing can replace. You just, you have to do it. We could, we could sit here and talk about tools all day, but if you're not actively writing on a daily basis, like no amount of tools is going to make you better. Uh, you talk about writing for Inc. How did that happen and what did they want you to focus on? That was a unique experience. So I was one of the first writers on Quora to figure out that uh, in 2015, Quora actually created syndication partnerships with like every major publication on the internet. So what that means is Fortune, Time, Forbes, Business Insider, all these publications created a Quora column on their site and they would republish Quora answers to these major publications. When I found out about that, I was like, okay, well, this is a backdoor into every single major pub on the internet. I'm going to start writing on Quora in the same style of these publications so that when they come across my answers, they just go, wow, this is already written like a piece that would go on our site. We're just going to copy paste this and put it on the Quora column. And that's, that's how I ended up getting republished in every major pub on the internet. After I did that for so long, there was, there was like an eight, nine, 10 month period where Inc was republishing one of my Quora answers every single week, every single week for almost a year. At a certain point, I started talking with them directly and I was like, look, you guys are taking my content all the time from Quora. Why not just let me write for you directly? And they said, yes. And of course, the moment that happened, I was like, okay, level two, let's go. I'm, I'm in the next level of the game. And I started writing for them. I was writing a column a day for them for two years. And the challenge, what I ended up taking away from that is, again, my most popular pieces always either had to do with general life advice or, or piggybacking on a news item. How long were these columns, by the way? Like 800 to 1,000 words. That's like, pretty nice-sized column. Yeah, it's not. I mean, 800 words is a lot shorter than you think. You know, you, you got to work pretty hard to make 800 words compelling. What I learned from that is, every, you know, so many times people, especially, you know, leaders at companies and people who really want to posture themselves professionally. They're obsessed with this idea of writing for major publications, but what they don't realize is two things. One, your viewership on social platforms will always be better. I, not a single month for me writing for Inc. did my Inc. column viewership ever surpass Quora or Medium. I was doing 100,000, 200,000, 300,000 views per month on Inc., and I was averaging close to a million a month. Wow. Quora. It wasn't even close. And, and the reason is because it's a static site versus a social site with an algorithm. So they're two fundamentally different games. So from a viewership perspective, you're way better off writing on social platforms. And second is you think that you have freedom writing for these pubs, but you don't. You're basically just a free employee they're either going to hire a staff writer or they're going to get contributing writers. And the contributing writers are assigned to a section of the site. And in that section of the site, they have to write what they're recommended. So I very often was given topics and that's what I had to write about. Yeah, I'm great for American State Business Journalist and I can only write about entrepreneurship and family business. That's it. I can't go out of my lane for that. Yeah. So 
in one sense, like that's good because you could reach that niche audience. And on another sense, like, eh, it's not, it's not the be all end all. I'll talk a little bit about medium since, since a lot of us aren't familiar with that. Medium is, well, to get the brief history of medium, the CEO of medium was also the founder and creator of blogger in the two thousands. And then also one of the co-founders of Twitter, uh, his name's Ev Williams. He's just been in writing publishing on the internet for a long time. Medium was intended to be the ad model is really broken. I saw that writing for Inc. Like when you write on platforms or websites where the model is advertising, you're really only aiming for short-term attention. There's really no benefit for long-term engagement because you're just going for the click, they get the ad sell, and then that's how they make money. Medium was, we believe that people would be willing to pay a subscription fee, pay you know five bucks a month to read a really beautiful site with a social algorithm, with no ads written by, you know, compelling, compelling people. Um, and now they're at a point where they're paying writers based on the views and engagement that their posts get. So I earn, you know, good amount of money every month from people that read my stuff on medium. And it's great. It's a great, just independent writing platform. I'd say them and Quora. How do they make money then if they're not running ads? Subscriptions. Okay. So people pay five bucks, 10 bucks a month for a subscription. Yep. Yeah. And, and you, you know, if you don't have a subscription, you can read like three articles a month for free. If not, you have to pay a subscription to use the site indefinitely. Um, it's an interesting model, you know, like there's, there's haters of it. There's, there's people who love it, but they're doing, they're doing pretty well right now. And I've talked about it on a couple other podcasts, like the next two years will reveal whether or not they're going to become the Spotify for the writing world, or if they're going to implode because the business model doesn't work. Are they venture backed? Yeah. They've raised like hundred plus million. Wow. Wow. So there'll be like a, a um, like a CBS for writing, for writing on the internet, you know, like a, a major network. Yeah. Nowhere else on the internet can you really write and then get paid. Like you said, with YouTube, right? Yeah. Like there's no YouTube equivalent for writers. So that's kind of the big thing that they've set out to solve for. But again, the math of the business model, you have to have enough subscriptions to warrant paying out writers that amount. And like, for example, I'm one writer and, you know, I make thousands of dollars a month off that site. So, you know, they're paying a lot of money out there's going to be a tipping point here in the next like two years of either this really works or it really doesn't. Uh, how did you become a ghostwriter and does it pay well? Because based on what I read in your book, maybe I should focus on this and there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Ghostwriting ghost is exceedingly lucrative. Um, most people don't know about it when I was in school for writing and you know, they, they did the one class period on here's what jobs you can expect as a writer. Like, Nobody talked about ghostwriting. It was all just journalism or work at a library or be a barista while you write your novel. <laughs> Nobody talked about this. Um, and it was really just, at, you know, I quit my job uh, working in advertising and I just was going to go all in as a freelance writer. And I figured based on what I was earning from Inc., I was one of their few paid columnists. I was getting paid per page view, pennies on the dollar. So I was not, I was not going yacht shopping. In, I, I quit my job basically thinking if I have a couple more hours a day, can I fill in the rest of my income? And so I started writing after I quit my job saying kind of, I'm a free agent. I'm, I work with people on their own writing. Let me know if you want to work together. And then this guy reached out and he said, I love reading your ink column. 
uh, he had recently exited his business. He was in private equity now. He had a crazy startup story, built a business for 20 years, and he just he wanted to share his story. One person led to two, two, you know, turned to four, and a year and a half later, we had 20 employees and you know a whole business doing ghostwriting for other people. Wow! Congratulations on that. And I'm going to talk more about that in a second question we have here is, have you ever tried advertising? I thought about this too. Have you ever tried uh, selling advertising inside your books? I'm trying to get some advertisers for my book. I, I've often thought, I mean, if you're James Patterson and the number of people that read, that's a whole new big uh, amount of revenue. And again, I wonder if people will say, oh Christ, I don't want to you know, read a book that has ads through it, which would be just another form of a magazine. Yeah, I've thought about this and I'm I'm a big proponent in finding new ways to monetize as a writer. I think right now it's uncharted territory and if you can create it, if you can come up with it on your own, you can make money that way. My personal belief is in every form of advertising, you know, there's the easy way to do it and then there's the tasteful way to do it. If I was James Patterson and I was selling ads in my book, I wouldn't do it like a magazine where there's, you know, pause the reading experience. Here's a big ad for a company. Mm -hmm. What I would probably do is treat it like a music video or a movie where you go to Coke and you say, Hey, if you give me X amount of money, every main character in this book is going to drink Coke. Yeah. And it's just woven into the right. Just like a movie does when they have the cars and the Coke right. and everything like that. Yeah. Somebody's going to, somebody's going to do it. And then once somebody on a uh, on not a broad scale does it all the broad scale people you know all the people who were write the jack reacher books and all those things are gonna uh, jump right in because their publisher is gonna say geez there's another source of income for us and, and but maybe uh, writers like that won't even need publishers because they'll form their own companies around their own books because they're so followed like you've become yeah, like that's my biggest thing. I mean, like I said at the beginning of this, I have no aspirations of writing for a major publishing house because I just don't believe in the model anymore of you're going to give me an advance and then I'm going to own 10% of the product. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. I, I think finding other ways to monetize like this to get yourself started and, you know, think of it like how do I get my feet planted so that I can start playing the game yeah, I mean, this already exists in affiliate marketing. You know, you can do it with, you know, quote unquote, influencer advertising. You know, there's there's a lot of other ways to make money too. But yeah, I think writers of the new age are going to do this on their own. Uh, do you do any video posting on social media? Not really. Um, I've thought, I've entertained the idea often of, you know, doing more walkthrough videos and doing a YouTube channel or something like that. But at the end of the day, like my strong suit is writing. And I've really learned that any of those other pursuits are different skill sets. So if you choose to do that, you know, say you think, oh, well, it'd be really great for me to make YouTube videos to market my books. Maybe, but the hours you spend into that are going to mean that you're more of a YouTuber than you are a writer. For me, it's just time better spent just doubling down on my own craft and using writing platforms to fuel my writing. It's just a very linear Line. I think you're right that the book world is certainly changing because all the books I wrote were for major publishers and you get 10 to 12% and they give you an advance and until the advance comes back to them, then they're not paying you any money. And then you have, they want you to take all your advance and invest it in marketing, which they're doing very little marketing for you. And it's, and it's the reverse. If you're a huge name, 
um, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg were to write a book, they'll spend millions marketing that, which he doesn't need the millions to market it. But if you have a great book and you're not a well-known author, they'll spend nothing on it and expect you to do all the marketing for it. And so I kind of, maybe the whole paradigm is shifting in how people control their content and publish it and so forth. It's, it's all just backwards. I kind of want to like stay on the record now. I guarantee you 10 years from now, what I show that is possible in self-publishing will get a lot of other writers to wake up. In order to do that, you have to spend, you have to be willing to invest five, 10 years into building your library. People don't want to do that. They, they want the instant gratification. Oh, you gave me a $15,000 advance and you own all of my product now, but I can say I'm a published writer. Yay. What's the point of that? And see, that's what I, and that's what I did because I felt like, well, that will give me, and it did. It helped me get a lot of business and gave me credibility and, and opened a lot of doors for me. But I think just like everything else, it's all changing how people view these things. So, and that leads me to asking you to talk about you're also an entrepreneur and you've started this business, Digital Press. Why did you start it and what, what have you learned? And talk about the success of it. Oh my gosh, so many lessons. I mean, I started it because A, I and we, you know, my business partner, one of my closest friends, we saw an opportunity, you know, and we were curious. So we wanted to see how far we could take it. But I learned a lot of lessons. I mean, that's, <laughs> we could talk for hours about that. Is, you know, everything from why do you start a business? What, your, what are your motivations? Why are you doing it? We grew very, very quickly. You know, we got to 20 full-time employees and seven figures in revenue in a year and a half. Wow. And we just, I realized after that, that, you know, I wasn't a writer anymore. I was a, <laughs> I was a startup founder, you know, and that really wasn't what I wanted. So at a certain point, we, we ended up scaling the business back. And basically I was like, I, I want to spend more of my time writing. I don't really want to do this anymore. So it was a great, it was a great journey, but it's, uh, it was not the be all end all for me. Why couldn't you just hire somebody else to manage that part of the business, get that nice income from it and focus on the writing? Or was it requiring a lot of your time to edit and, and oversee all this? That's that what you just said, I think is the most said phrase in business. Why, why can't you just hire someone? But literally since the moment we started that company, it was like, you'll be better off uh, if we could just get one more manager in place, if we could just hire one more person to take over that. But all you're really doing then is just moving the problems to a different side of the business. And the second, the other reason is it was, it was too dependent on me. It was all dependent on my writing style what I had created, the way that I wrote, we were trying to scale my skill set, and that that makes for a very hard business to scale. And that makes sense to me because I think in any most service businesses, uh, like marketing, PR, or whatever, a lot of them are very, very hard to scale because uh, people are buying you and your methodology uh, for how you go about doing it, and finding people who can duplicate that is extremely hard. So that makes a a lot of sense to me. Could you uh, tell us how to take advantage of social media outlets like Twitter, well, Instagram, Facebook, I'd say and step one, do not feel the need to be everywhere. I think one, one of the biggest lessons I learned really early on is the idea that you have to manage your Facebook and a Twitter and an Instagram and a Snapchat and a blog. And a, it's just, I don't believe in that because it ends up being really inefficient. You're far better, or I saw way faster growth when all I did was write on Quora. 
I picked that one platform and I said, I am going to dominate this one platform. And now, you know, I'm experimenting more with Twitter. I'm really not, I'm not pouring more resources. I'm not pouring more mental energy into other platforms. I'm just saying, oh, Twitter's interesting right now. People are doing threads. People are, you know, kind of approaching writing in a unique way there. Let me, let me try doing that. And so that has said, okay, I'm going to put a lot of my focus into that. But doing one thing at a time is the key. You're way better off climbing the ladder higher on one platform than trying to dance around and be on 10 at once. Yeah. I found it interesting that LinkedIn, I'm in so many groups that the total number of people I should be reaching is about 3 million. And yet when you post things on all those different groups, rarely do you get a response, no matter how famous the people are. So like when we do the best business minds, I've had um, very, very well-known business people on, and it really didn't move the dial. It moved the dial less than my email blast and other things uh, that I've done. And I find that interesting. And in fact, um, I had John Chambers from Cisco Systems on. I said, he also tried LinkedIn. He said, I don't think people who join those groups ever even look at anything again uh, once they've done it. So I kind of wonder what's the value of doing that, even though I've continued to try to post different things on there. I did write about uh, a CEO who died, a famous venture capitalist, and a thousand people from around the world uh, ended up writing to me and, and reposting it to other people. So that must have interested them. But a lot of the stuff isn't read by folks. And when you see somebody has 15 million followers, how many people are actually reading their stuff? You know, this is what makes the internet game a game is uh, if it was as simple as me saying, oh, you have that problem because of this. Here, just do this and you'll have 3 million people that are reading your stuff. Like I could, <laughs> I should be charging a lot more money for that. You know what I mean? Like if you had that answer, right? But it doesn't work that way. And so there's really only two things that I pay attention to. One is growth hacks. We can't talk about engagement strategies. We we can't talk about which platforms are the best. Nothing else matters if you are not consistent and you have that baseline habit. If you are that, then second layer is then we can start digging into, okay, so what what are some of the things going on? Maybe everyone else who's crushing it in your vertical or your niche you know, maybe they have better photography than you do. Okay, cool. You can improve at that. Maybe they post at different times of the day. Okay, we can look at that. Maybe they have bigger ad budgets. Like literally every single person that you see that has 10 million plus whatever followers on Facebook and all, they have huge ad budgets. They're using paid media to drive their audience. That's fine. You don't even need that. It's just, you have to look at these different variables and go, okay, what are my unique advantages? How can I compete how can I own my section of the internet and then just and just keep tweaking from there? But I find 99% of the time, people want to have that second discussion before they are consistent. And it's almost always consistency. That's the problem. Uh, and again, it's putting in the time. Like you said, how long did it take you to become who you are yeah, now? I, mean, I, well, I started this journey in 2014, you know, and even still, I feel like I'm like just getting started. This is not a, I did it. And then I reached a destination. Like this is a, I did it. I'm, I'm moving. I'm on the journey. I'm improving. I'm building. And every year I get better and I'm building my library bigger. It's a process. Is there a time you should post, for instance, like, you know, when I I market my shows and I've tried different times of the day, but I found that 8.30 a.m., is the sweet spot for me. 
when people are just getting their coffee and looking at uh, at the blast that I send, then all of a sudden I see the numbers like fly the number of people sent. But if I send it sometime after 930, they trickle in during the course of the day. Yeah. So for yeah. writing, is there a time of the day that you say, you know, this is like really the best time to post? Not, I mean, to be honest, nothing has really stood out for me. Like, I think email is more sensitive to stuff like that. You're right. Twitter, I've noticed weirdly that I'm really into writing these Twitter threads. For those that don't know, a thread is, you know, your first tweet is kind of like, here's the big idea and here's what I'm about to explain to you. And then you connect a bunch of tweets under it to kind of like walk people through. It's like a mini article. I find that if I do that at like 10 a.m. Pacific time, engagement's great. But if I do it in the afternoon or something, like it's usually not. All of this, again, goes back to my central philosophy, which is I really, really, really do not pay very much attention to how any one post performs. My whole mission and idea and strategy is I want to build the largest library I can for myself. So if one article performs really well, I've had both happen. I've had articles I spent hours on do nothing, got hundred views, nobody cared. And I've had articles that I spent 15 minutes writing right. go massively viral. It's, it's not about how does the one perform? It's more about is your library getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where, I mean, how many, how many podcast episodes has Tim Ferriss recorded at this point? thousands, you know, and, and there's something different that happens from a perception standpoint, when you come across Tim Ferriss's podcast and you see we're on episode, whatever, 1000 or 2,349, like immediately some part of you has instant respect for that person because they've, be, they've been at it for so long and you're more inclined to pay attention. But if you come across someone who has three episodes out, you're like, eh, the likelihood they're going to remain consistent is probably very low. I'm not even going to pay attention to it. So that's why it's it's all about the library, long-term, long-term. Uh, blogs. Been around for a long time. Do people still read blogs? Depends on your definition of a blog. So this is this was the first big, big idea in the book that I explained to people is a blog is not where you should be writing today. A blog is a website and there are billions of websites on the internet. How is anyone going to find their way to yours? They're not. So there's only two scenarios where you should have a blog. One is if you are not really trying to build yourself as a writer, you're more trying to use writing to build a business. So for example, I'm a personal trainer and I want to sell, you know, workout guides and supplements and products and online coaching. That's my whole business. I can understand the rationale of then using your site and investing in your blog to write articles that rank for certain keywords so that when people are searching for them on Google, they come to your site, they convert as a customer. Like that is a business decision. The second scenario is if you're a company, especially if you're a big company and you know, say you're selling a, like a SaaS product, you want to use your blog and basically treat it as an industry publication where everything you write is intended to reach that sort of target customer. HubSpot's a great example. Their blog is, is basically a niche publication for content marketers. And so it's a pretty linear path. You know, I find a blog article, I go to HubSpot. Oh, I might need a, you know, CRM software. Okay. I then convert and become a customer. If you don't fit 
any either of those two use cases, then writing on your own site or your own blog is not the fastest way to achieve what you're trying to achieve. You're far better off picking a social platform like a Medium or a Quora or Twitter or Wattpad or any of these other places and starting to write there so that you can get your flywheel moving. You need readers who are going to give you data and feedback that you can incorporate into your writing so then you can write more and improve and and you need that flywheel to start spinning. And the more feedback that you get, the better you're writing, the more that you're writing things that resonate, the more people want to follow you. The whole learning process just goes faster. And then once you've built yourself up, then it can start to make sense to go, okay, I'm writing kind of shorter form stuff on social. I'm going to direct people back to my site because I have longer resources there. I have my book there. You know, I have a guide there. I have a course there. I have whatever. There's no reason to start writing on a blog. Um, why do you think people under 35 aren't reading books much anymore? And how can, young, how can we get younger people to read? Or are they just reading different things now and the physical book isn't, isn't you know, as interesting? When you sent me that question, that, that was an interesting one because I'd like to go research and do some digging on that because I, I actually don't know what the data is on that. I've always felt like reading reading's always got a bad reputation. Everyone thinks that no one's reading, but the reality is people read a lot. They just read different ways now. You know, you're reading Twitter, you're reading eBooks, you're reading, you know, whatever on the internet. But I also believe that, you know, this is a hard truth to swallow, but I find in almost any, any industry, maybe music is a close, a close second, but writers tend to have this kind of entitlement where they say, I spent this time writing, I deserve for people to read it. In no other industry does that make sense, right? It's not like you say, I spent four years playing basketball outside, I deserve to play in the NBA. It doesn't work that way. So a really hard truth to swallow is sometimes your writing is just not good enough. And, and that's and that's part of what makes it a competition. That's what makes it a game. There's why, that's why books go number one and why books go unread. Some people are really discouraged by that. And they go, well, that's really unfair. I, I spent all this time writing this thing. I deserve for people to read it. Like we started this whole thing. You know, Every writer wants their work to be read. So you have to put the time in to learn, how do I write things that people want to read? What's the biggest mistake people who want to be star online writers make? they don't write. They say they spend all day researching and, and you know, what's the trick? When should I post during the day? Doesn't matter. None of it matters unless you are writing, write, start writing, get in the habit. And then we can have a discussion yeah. about when in the day should you be posting or should your picture be this or this, or should your headers be this or this, but none of it matters if you can't get the basic habit. What's the minimum amount of time you should be writing? I mean, I'm not minimum amount of time. How many days a week should you be writing? It depends on what your goals are. Like this whole conversation's framed around, do you want to be a professional writer? So if we're having the discussion through the lens of, do you want to be a professional writer? Then how do you become professional at anything? You know, you can't expect to do something for two hours on a Saturday when you feel like it and say, why aren't I a professional at it? Like I, like I said, I grew up playing classical piano and 
ice hockey and as an athlete. And like, I, that's how I think about things. So when I think about writing, I think I need to train every day. I need to practice every day. I need to read every day. I need to study my craft every day. If you're not doing that, then you're a hobbyist. And if you're a hobbyist, that's fine, but just don't have the expectations of the outcomes that are associated with being a professional. Uh, what do you think about newsletters and how frequently should I write one to make it work? So I'm a, I'm a big uh, fan of Substack. If you know everyone here hasn't heard of Substack. So Substack is a email writing platform where you can have a free email list or you can have a paid email list. Uh, go ahead, tell us. This is a really big deal because what it's unlocking is it's basically saying, look, in other models, like even on Medium, for example, for me to make a thousand, two thousand, three thousand dollars a month writing on Medium, I need to have a lot of people reading my stuff. I need to have hundreds of thousands of views on, on my stuff. Substack basically says, look, if you can create your own little corner of the universe and you just get a hundred people to pay you five bucks a month for whatever your, your newsletter is, all of a sudden your income starts adding up pretty quickly. And so it's this larger trend that's happening where people are realizing in the ad model, you need a ton of people. You need a massive audience in order to start making like a little bit of money with subscriptions. You need not very many people to pay you five or 10 bucks a month to all of a sudden start generating great, great revenue. So newsletters, I think, you know, you're either going to go the route of, I'm just trying to build a massive newsletter list and, you know, I'll tell them about my books when I publish them or I'll tell them about new products and whatever, or you're going to go the Substack route and Substack, it's more of like, I'm going to give you, you know, these really clearly defined niche insights on this audience or this industry once a week or once a day, or here are really unique stories. Like I'm seeing a lot of pubs that are, you know, around news and journalism saying I'm covering stories from small towns in the Midwest. If you're into that, subscribe to this for five bucks a month. And it's, it's unlocking and it's making people realize that if you can get to subscription revenue for your writing, you don't need that many people to start making serious income, which is great. You know, uh, that's a, a very old model that people who are money managers and stock pickers yep. um, had been doing that for uh, probably the last 50 to 75 years. Yeah, you're and, exactly right. And make a great living at it. Or people who are like environmental experts and they have a whole group of people who follow them and they might only have a thousand people, but those thousand people might be willing to pay $500 a year to hear the research that this person's doing. So it's an old model that is now being turned over to the internet and opened up to more than just that particular group of people. That's interesting. Yep. Uh, and you're writing your book about the importance of picking a niche and how big should the niche be? The way I've come to think about this is when people talk about their audience or who they want to reach, a good frame for that is the size of the question you're answering is the size of your audience. Let me explain what that means. I learned this by writing on Quora. So if, if you are answering the question, metaphorically, if you are answering the question, what's it like to build a biotech company? There are not very many people that wake up in the morning and ask themselves, I would really like the answer to the question, what's it like to build a biotech company? 
But if you were to answer the question, how can I live a more meaningful life? That's a question that every human being asks themselves at a certain point, right? So whether you're writing an answer on Quora or an article or a Twitter thread or a book or uh, writing a speech or whatever, you have to start by thinking, what is the question that I'm answering? And is this a big enough question? So for example, I've, I, you know, we're, I'm working on a, a business book I'm co-authoring with, with two other guys right now. And we started off by thinking, this is the question we're answering. Small, super niche question. And every month as we've, as we've worked on it, the, the question has gotten bigger and bigger because we're like, well, we want this to reach as many people as possible. So how do, how do we answer a really big question? And if you notice all of the best-selling books, New York Times bestsellers, number ones, all of it, they're all massive questions. Like Atomic Habits, one of the biggest books of the past couple of years. That's a big question. The question is, what are, what are the best habits for, for me to adopt to live a successful life? That's, that's a huge question. So I, that's why I always encourage to slow down. What question are you answering? I've got uh, one last question for you. Uh, I was surprised by the stat in your book that readers spend 60 seconds and 70 to 90, uh, 70 to 90 bounce to another publication. Is that generational? I don't know if that's generational, but I'll tell you that, yeah, publications and websites like that do not have a great track record. Nobody really sits there scrolling through Forbes or scrolling through Inc., you're just getting blasted with Kia ads. Like you got to get out of there. So yeah, that's another reason why I say writing for major publications is not the be all end all because someone sees a headline in their social feed, they click on it, they maybe skim through the article and then they go back to their social feed. They don't sit on that site. I think that medium is important to succeed. I hope it does. And I look forward to reading your next book and having you back on again. I really enjoy the conversation and the insights you've provided about how to be succeed in writing. And I hope everybody else enjoyed it. I thank all of Thanks you for, for coming me. out today. And uh, again, Cole, it was fantastic meeting you and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.